Hey, world travelers. I'm Samantha Williams. And I'm Samantha Knoll. This is Death on Destination. Each week, we will tell a story of people enjoying paradise before something went terribly wrong. As travel agency owners, we've seen some of the most beautiful locations. And we've also seen what hides just beyond gorgeous tourist sites. Join us this week as we discuss Murder in the Woods, Shenandoah National Park. Sitting on over 200,000 acres and just 75 miles from Washington, D.C., Shenandoah National Park is an outdoorsman's dream. With wildlife and all kinds of waterfalls, flowers, hollows, and much more, there's something for absolutely everybody. Which is why it was no surprise when Julie Williams and Lolly Winans wanted to go hiking on May 19, 1996. Here's their story. Julie Ann Williams, also known as Julie Williams, was 24 years old from St. Cloud, Minnesota. She was a geologist in the making. She was a sports enthusiast who won the Minnesota State Doubles Championship in high school. She traveled to Europe in college to study the extinction of dinosaurs, and she graduated summa cum laude and spoke Spanish and worked with the disenfranchised. After college, she went to Richmond, Virginia, and took a job at a bookstore in Burlington. Laura Winans went by Lolly. She was from a very wealthy family in Michigan, but her friends say she had none of those personalities. She rejected the privilege, and she was very down-to-earth. After high school, Lolly went on to go to college, where she eventually dropped out. She moved to Maine and attended another college called Unity College. She worked as a guide in the wilderness. And according to journalist Barry Yeoman, Lolly was a microbrew drinking, fish following, cigarette smoking, good time girl. So if any of that could give you a picture of these two women, I think that it made perfect sense that they found a lot of solace in Shenandoah National Park. The pair met two years prior at a now defunct nonprofit called Woods Women. I don't know much about Woods Women, Samantha, but I know that you've done a little bit of research on it. So what can you tell us what it's about? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a nonprofit organization. It was run out of Minneapolis, Minnesota from 1977 to 1999. They were referred to as the grandmother of women's outdoor adventure groups. And they were one of the first adventure travel companies that worked exclusively with women and children. They served over 8,000 women and 1,200 children. Their mission was to offer supportive and challenging learning opportunities for women and for women and children to help foster individual growth, responsibility, and relationship skills. Woods Women was set up with feminist and environmentalist ideas in mind and in such empowering women and protecting the environment. That's really cool. That sounds like a really great organization. So just to paint a better picture of where the women were hiking. Shenandoah National Park is in the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Virginia, and almost 40% of the park's land has been designated as a wilderness area, and it is protected as part of the National Wilderness Preservation System. The highest mountain there is Hawksville Mountain at 4,051 feet. Among the mountains, there's also waterfalls 
and oddly enough, a small family cemetery. And Sam, you've done a little bit of research about what the women were doing there and why they wanted to be there to begin with. Yeah. So from what I've read, it looks like they set out on White Oak Canyon Trail on May 19th, 1996. But the weather was so bad that they had to reemerge a few days later to renew their camping pass. And I don't know how long camping passes lasted. I couldn't find anything on that. They obviously don't last forever. So they would have had to come out and renew their camping pass at some point anyway. But the rain forced them out. So they came out, they renewed their camping pass, and then they went back in. And when they went back in, they set out to climb Hawksbill, which, as you said, is the highest mountain in Shenandoah. Then after they did that, they made their camp next to a stream, which is near the Appalachian Trail. And we all know that the Appalachian Trail runs for miles and miles and miles across several states. So it's a pretty long hike there that they could have done if they wanted to. Their campsite was only about a quarter of a mile from Skyline Trail and about a half a mile from Skyland Lodge, which is a popular hangout spot. It has a bar and restaurant. It has some cabins there. The couple was following backcountry regulations, which backcountry regulations required them to stay out of sight as well. So I don't know about you, but if I had to camp somewhere that was off the beaten path and had to stay out of sight, I'd be a little bit nervous about that. Yeah, and not just that, but we also came across some interesting research that says they had to hang their food from trees in bear-proof containers. Yeah, I'm not a camping girl, so I can't relate to that. I am 100% with you on that. Yeah, bears, I'm out. (laughs) Snakes, I'm out. Which they have both in Shenandoah National Park. Exactly. If I can drive it and look at the wildlife, I'm good. If I have to be up close and personal with it, nope, no thanks. Five-star hotels are my idea of a good campsite. You and me both. We all know why we're here. We're here to learn about what happened to Julie and Lolly. And on May 28th, 1996, that was the day that the girls were supposed to be back home. On May 31st, 1996, Julie's father, Thomas Williams, reported the girls missing. Park rangers started searching and found Julie and Lolly's car just north of Skyland Lodge. Rangers also began searching for the girls, but only found Taj roaming unleashed in the woods. Bridget Bonnet was the deputy chief ranger at Shenandoah National Park for the investigation. They found both of them at the campsite just off of Bridal Trail. They were only about a half a mile away from the lodge you had mentioned, which was packed with visitors constantly, but because the campers were required to do so away from anywhere that was developed and out of sight, people passed by them and had no idea that they were there. Can you imagine? I I can't even imagine being out in the open and not being able to be seen. So when the rangers found the girls, they found that they had been bound, gagged, and their throats were slit. So from the research that I've read, The girls were last seen alive sometime around May 24th, 1996, meaning that the girls were murdered sometime between May 24th, 1996 and June 1st, 1996, when their bodies were found. The investigation in this particular murder was even more complex because when a murder happens on national park property, they first have to figure out where the jurisdiction lies. And for this particular area of the park that they were in, it is a completely federal jurisdiction. 
meaning that only the federal government has authority to investigate. All of the investigation was done in conjunction with the ISB, which is also known as the Investigation Services Branch of National Park System, the FBI, and also the Virginia State Police who came in and helped to process the scene. And I think it's really important to say, and Sam, you did some research on this, the National Park Service at Shenandoah really had not dealt with something like this before. No, not at all. I read an interesting article that says that in the year of 2015 alone, there were 15,696 murders that occurred within the United States. However, of those, there had only been 10 murders along the Appalachian Trail since the early 1970s. And the murder of Julie and Lolly was the last murder to occur along the Appalachian Trail that we know of. So that's pretty interesting statistics there that, you know, out of almost 16,000 murders, only 10 total, and that's not just in a year, but 10 total have been reported since the early 1970s until we we hear about Lolly and Julie. That's crazy. And something else I read that's just of interest along this line is that there is an estimated 1,600 people missing on public lands. Wow. So that's a really small amount of people versus the people going in and out of these areas. Right, because there's millions of people who visit these national parks on an a yearly average. You know, it, it says considering three to four million people step foot along the Appalachian Trail each year, the number of murders on the trail over the past 40 years is really actually quite low compared to the rest of the United States. Right. You know, most of the accidents or deaths that happen along hiking trails or in national parks, not just the Appalachian Trail, but in any, you know, national park are falls, wandering off the trail too far and getting lost. And then, if- and I think that's what makes it so hard to start solving a crime like this. But it didn't take them very long to kind of get on the trail of a suspect. They did come across a suspect, but not directly. So Shenandoah's Skyline Drive is a popular place for people to ride their bikes. And in July of 1997, a girl by the name of Yvonne Malbasha, she was a Canadian tourist, was riding her bike. And as she was riding through the mountainous roads, she, you know, obviously was admiring the views and she was just on a a bike ride trying to enjoy the scenery And she was actually forced off of the road and off of her bike by a man driving a truck. And that man, once she was off the road, he started screaming at her and making sexual profanities. And he um, came at her and he was extremely mad and tried to force her inside of his vehicle, but she was able to fight him off. And then she was able to hide behind a tree where This man re-entered his truck and then began trying to run her over, but eventually gave up and sped away. But rangers apprehended him right before he was trying to leave the park, and his name was Daryl David Rice. Through the investigation that led them to Malbasha, they kind of thought that he was connected to the murders of 
Lolly and Julie. But in 1998, so pretty quickly thereafter, he was found guilty and sentenced to 135 months in a federal penitentiary. And they continued to interview him after he was arrested, obviously. And that kind of led them to think that Rice may have been involved in both Lolly and Julie's murders. And I don't know if it's just because he was in the area, but as they continued to kind of push for more answers, he completely denied that he was ever in the parks. But there was videotaped evidence of him entering Front Royal at the very front of the park at 8.05 p.m. on May 25th. And again, at an area called Rockfish Gap at about 5 p.m. on May 26th. He then returned with two friends, Robert and Carl, on June 1st. So he had lied to all the investigators, which led them to believe he was hiding why he was actually there. Right. And then on April 10th, 2001, nearly five years after the deaths, Attorney General John Ashcroft announced that the indictment of David Darrell Rice in the murder of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans. So obviously sometime in there, they felt like they had enough circumstantial evidence to indict him. The funny thing about that is that they had a lot of theories. One of the theories was that they stated that Rice said that the girls deserved to die because they were gay. So that would make it a hate crime. But the other interesting thing is that Rice was actually charged with four counts of capital murder, two of which alleged that he selected his vi victims because of their sexual orientation. And because he was because he was charged with a hate crime, his indictment invoked a federal sentencing enhancement. If convicted, he would have received the death penalty, but he was never sentenced. Right. And I read on the Washington Post an opinion article by Deidre Enright, and she was one of his lawyers. And she still to this day says that he didn't do it. In fact, she says there was some tunnel vision by the police at the time just because they wanted to solve the case so badly. And also DNA evidence was not very strong at that time. But since then, they have checked the DNA evidence and it has proven Daryl Rice did not commit these murders. In fact, there's a whole other serial killer who had DNA evidence that might match and I'm going to read a little excerpt from here because, Sam, I am not a scientist at all. Right. But neither am I. I think that this is important. And I think that this might help invoke some thoughts as to how strong this evidence against this serial killer is. So the serial killer that they think that these DNA strands could be linked to, his name is Richard Ivonitz. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from the Washington Post article written by David Rice's attorney. It said, DNA test shows that hairs found in gloves at the crime scene and in the duct tape used to bind the victims were from the same source and matched Ivanit's hairs at all but two of 650 base pairs on a mitochondrial chain. In 2004, the government called that inconclusive. Several labs have assured us that there are now tests available that would likely produce conclusive results. There is male DNA at one of the gags, and it isn't Rice's. There are lubricants in both victims, and they cannot be linked to either victim or Rice. Ivana's had many lubricants. So there's a lot of links and ties to Ivana's, but 
What makes that even more confusing is there were more murders in Virginia between 1996 and 1997 that were targeted towards girls. And in fact, they have linked all of these to the Route 29 stalker. There were several names thrown around as to who could that could be, but it was never linked to Rice. And they still haven't tested this DNA, Sam. They have not taken Ivana's DNA to be tested in the 2020 years to see if it matched. What? Like, why are they not calling this guy in to test his DNA? They obviously have enough circumstantial evidence against him to be able to get a court order for his DNA. So what are they not? Why are they not doing that? I don't understand. I'm not sure, but they can't call him in directly because he killed himself back in 2002 after a police chase because they were coming after him for several murders. Wow. So they had an opportunity, they didn't take the opportunity, and now the one person who could possibly be the party that is actually guilty is not around for them to be able to test it. And so Julie and Lolly's family are still going without knowing what happened to their daughters, and no justice is going to be brought at this point. I know the FBI and the ISB are still investigating. Why are they not pursuing DNA evidence from Ivanitz? They have to have a way to do that, even though he's deceased. Well, I'm sure there's things that can definitely happen to make that possible. And I know, Samantha, that you found a little, uh, I think you said you found a video with a warning of sorts that was posted shortly after the murders along the trail that I found was pretty interesting and a little eerie, honestly. Yeah, it was a little bit strange. It was just a pink piece of paper that they had either laminated or taped. I can't really tell. You know, the video was not very good back then compared to what we have now. But it says, and I think before I read this, I think it just goes to show that these women were not taken as seriously as a lot of other murdered women have been. In fact, it took the park three days to even say that there was a murder. So there were tons of people in the park that had no idea. But when they finally put this out, this is how flippant this was. Notice to hikers. Two female hikers were found dead in Shenandoah National Park at their backcountry campsite near Milepost 42 on Skyline Drive on Saturday, June 1st. The case is under intensive investigation as a homicide. Please remember, it is always advisable to hike in groups of two or more, Be sure family or friends are aware of your backcountry itinerary and timetable. Be cautious of strangers, especially inquisitive ones. Do not share details of your route or camping planned location. Do not set up backcountry campsites near roads or developed areas. And they left it at that. I would have thought at the very least they would have closed at least part of that trail down, but it doesn't sound like they did that. Not to my knowledge, I could find nothing that they did anything like that. And I'm unsure, and we definitely cannot speak for others, but were they not taken seriously because they were two women who were together, or were they not taken seriously because they were two women? I don't know. And in that day and age, times were very different than today's times, so we never will know. Though police chased down 15,000 leads, this is still an active and ongoing investigation. If you have any information about what happened to Lolly or Julie, 
that day in 1996, please call the FBI Richmond Central Virginia Violent Crime Task Force at 804-261-1044. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you join us again next week as we discover another vicious crime that happened while on destination. This has been a Last Choice podcast where we may not have been your first choice, but we'll certainly be your last.